In John 6, we read this. After this, Jesus went away to the upper side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley uh, loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you today cause us to see this passage this event, this historic event, with eyes of faith, maybe with new eyes, maybe with a new or renewed heart, we ask that the Holy Spirit be our teacher, that nothing in this place, nothing that has gone on earlier this week or will go on later today would distract us from knowing more about Jesus, really knowing. And we ask for this in his precious name. Amen. Well, I have uh, off and on mentioned that people will go to all lengths to... Uh, discredit miracles that took place in 
the Scripture, that are recorded in the Scripture itself. And of course, the point in discrediting a miracle or explaining it in a natural way when it's presented as something supernatural, but the point of that is not so much so people say, okay, that wasn't a miracle, but for it to reflect on the Scripture itself and cause doubt about the, the truth, the veracity of the Scripture itself, and then ultimately to cause doubt about who Jesus really is. And so that's why it's serious when that is done. And this passage is no different. Uh, it, it's to be expected. This is uh, uh, the one miracle, other than the resurrection, that we see in all of the Gospels, the feeding of the multitudes. And so there was a period of time, and these rise up, every once in a while uh, again, and, and I'm sure in churches that don't hold to the, the Scripture as being God's Word, uh, these are, are still going around. But there was a period of time when the explanation for uh, this, you know, there were several. One might be that, well, everybody just got a little bit, and so it was like a, a, a sacrament, like the little pieces of bread we get, and so on. Uh, or the more common one that, that went around and tended to be repeated was that, that what happened was that they realized they needed food, and under the influence of Jesus, there, there was a real spirit of sharing and of love and concern for one another, and so everyone basically shared their lunches with each other, and that was the real miracle. Of course, the application of that is to give to your local food bank. <laughs> Which, by the way, we... Uh... And you know, that's not a bad application, but that is missing the point, isn't it? That wasn't what happened. That's not what's recorded in any of the Gospels. It is far from it. And in fact, by the way it's recorded, it is ruled out. So let's take a look at, uh, at this passage. And uh, interestingly, where uh, chapter 6 begins with after this, and so usually you would want to look back and say, after what? And you look back at the immediate thing and, and think, okay, well, you know, like the next day or whatever. But uh, as I've studied this and as I've looked at commentators who have figured out timelines and, and so on, the after this is perhaps six months later. And so uh, there's a, a period of time that in John we don't necessarily see what was going on. And John, uh, perhaps he was assuming that from the other Gospels you can, you can figure out a timeline and so on. And we know that he wasn't trying to record everything 
that Jesus did. He says that at the end of the book, that uh, it would be too much to record and so on. Um, but because of some of the things he says about the time of year it is and so on, it was uh, a number of months later. So it says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, <coughs> which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, uh, when we went to Israel a few years ago, uh, we stayed in uh, the city of Tiberias, which is uh, on that sea. And uh, so it's in the scripture that's interchangeable Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. But just to orient you, um, when we think, when, at least I, I would say before I went there, when I would think of a sea, you think of a, a, a big thing, you can't see the other shore and, and so on, and, and you think of a, a huge body of water. Well, the Sea of Galilee is 7 by 13 miles, and it is actually, in, uh, in terms of its area, it is 10,000 acres less than Lake Murray. So that gives you an idea of uh, the, the size of it, and so when we hear about them going across, like Next week we will be looking at it going across and going to this town and, and so on. Maybe that makes a, a little more sense than if you're thinking about uh, the Mediterranean Sea or, or an ocean and so on. So verse 2 then it says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now remember what we've been saying in terms of uh, the miracles uh, in the Gospel of John, that they're not the cause of faith, but they are occasions for faith. They cause people to notice Jesus and then to listen to his teaching, and that's basically what this is, is saying. You know, they heard or they saw that he was healing the sick, and so they said, well, let, let's go listen to him. And we will see him uh, teaching those very crowds. Verse 3, Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, that would have been a very common way for a rabbi to teach his disciples, his group of followers, for him to sit, them to sit kind of at his feet and so on. Then if others wanted to listen to gather beyond that. And so that's what we see in terms of the setting. And again, in terms of geography and so on, when, when it says he went up on the mountain, the mountains on, in that part of the country would be what we would think of as hill country, hills. Um, so it's not as though they're, they're climbing up uh, a, a mountain face or anything uh, like that. Uh, that, that mountain, that hill on the side of the Sea of Galilee. And then verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That's one of the ways we know that it was uh, a few months later from the previous thing. So already in 
in John. We, we see in Jesus' ministry three Passovers. And of course, the, the third one, we know what took place there. That was Holy Week, Palm Sunday, the arrest, the trials, the crucifixion, all of that took place at a Passover. So here we are in uh, just the sixth chapter of John. We're already on the second Passover, and that'll, that'll give you an idea that most of John is going to be those latter days of Jesus, and that's what we're going to see really moving forward from here. So then we see the need, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, uh, where are we to buy bread so that these many people may eat? Now, do we really think that Jesus was saying, you know, where's the nearest Costco or Sam's where we can get enough food for that? Of course he wouldn't. He's the Lord. He would have known where the nearest Costco or Sam's would be. That wasn't his point. Obviously, in saying this, in fact, it goes on and says, verse 6, he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus isn't feeling a, a dilemma here. He's not saying, oh no, this is going to be a disaster. Or he's not caught off guard. He's not in a reactive mode. He is the sovereign king. He is completely in control of all of this. And yet, he asked these questions basically to bring the disciples along, to bring them up to speed, could, to get them to the point. He, he was not here, nor is he ever caught short and just simply trying to react. So he's bringing them along. Long And then verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now that, that would be some eight months worth of living expenses. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, to translate it into our day or anything like that because the, the point wasn't that, you know, I got eight months worth of money here, but I hate to spend it on this one meal. They didn't have it anyway. He's, he's making that observation. You know what? That many uh, denarii wouldn't be enough even for everybody just to, to get a little taste. So Jesus, in essence, and we see this really from the parallel passages too, he's kind of putting the burden on them. we got to feed these people and he's helping them to figure out themselves, we can't feed these people. It's, it's not possible for us to do. So they're feeling the burden and they, they've gotten to the point where 
uh, there's, you have figured out we, we can't do this. And as I was looking at this, it made me wonder. I wonder when God sees fit to put us as his children through various burdens. I wonder how often it is that at least one, if not the primary reason, we can never know all the reasons God has for us going through a trial or a burden. But this makes me wonder whether at least one of those reasons would be for us to come to the end of ourselves and say, I can't do this. And sometimes we have to get to that point before we realize my only hope It's for him to do something. I can't change him or her. I can't even change myself. My only hope is if he does that work. So Jesus sees the need. And we see there's no way that the need is going to be met by them. And then... Here's some options, some human solutions. Uh, If you're following the outline, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy over there who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? (laughs) You know, it's hard to know exactly what he was thinking at that point whether he was just further confirming, I don't see any, there's no food inside except that, that little kid's got some food, or whether, like sometimes when we're, at least I, I, let me speak for myself, when, you know, you may be talking and you start to explain something and you get in the middle of it and say, oh, that doesn't make sense. I, I, it makes me wonder, could, could he have done that? Well, there's five barley, lo- oh, you know. That's not, that's not going to be enough. And barley loaves would, would be, uh, lest you think we've got these, these big, huge hoagie rolls and, and uh, marlins, you know, that they can chop up. And, uh, you know, these barley loaves would be like little rolls. And barley loaves were what the poor people would have. That's his, his family evidently would, would be poor. And these, uh, these fish would be, they're like little sardines that they would um, kind of spread on dry bread just to, so there would be some flavor to it. I've, I loved, I, in the city I shared with you what Frank Barker, when he spoke here and he used this passage, he said, you know, it's... Uh, this little boy had two fish burgers and an extra piece of bread, you know. And I was sitting there trying to figure out two fish burgers and, oh, okay, that's four pieces of bread. Yeah, that's five pieces of bread. Okay, I get it. And he kept, he kept mentioning that and, until by the end I was hungry to go try to find a fish burger somewhere. So I don't know where you can buy them. But, uh, so um, that's the idea. And the point being, what a meager solution. Um, Let's go a step further. 
how would these answers, how much it would cost, and the fact that they had little food, how different was that response from one that an atheist would make? Think about it. If somebody hadn't seen that Jesus can do miracles, somebody didn't know there's a God, those could have been their responses. They, they totally left Jesus out of that equation. And maybe again, that should remind us how meager our solutions are when they come from us and we leave Jesus out of those. When he's really the solution. So once they realize the impossibility of feeding this group, then Jesus did his job. Look, look at the miracle, verse 10. Jesus uh, said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, which by the way also says that would have been around Passover because it would have been the springtime. Later in the year or during the summer and stuff, there wouldn't be any grass to sit on. So it's kind of making it, this is a historic account of, of something that took place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, notice it says the number of men. And that is, that's not a sexist perspective. That would have been in that day how they would count crowds, uh, such and such number of men. Uh, but that doesn't mean there were only men there. In fact, there wouldn't have only been men there. So if you figure you got 5,000 men and then however many women and however many children, because it wouldn't be uncommon for a family to, uh, to be traveling together, to be there together, you, you could have easily double, maybe triple the number when it says 5,000 men. So just to give you an idea, one of the staff looked up the size of the Colonial Life Arena, and it holds 18,000. So the crowd that the disciples were looking at was likely the size of that whole arena full or more. And there, they're going to feed them. Verse 11 then. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. One of the parallel passages said, they ate and were satisfied. So they had everything that they wanted to eat, and those that wanted to had more. Are you going to finish that fish and that bread? And, you know, the dad's cleaning up uh, all of that. And then uh, we see later in this passage, which we'll get to next week, that it's like the manna in the Old Testament where God provided the manna and they always had enough. It was totally his provision. 
It wasn't anything they had to do other than to pick it up and, and eat it and collect it. Now, let me point out a couple of things. It's almost a, a, a little side trail about uh, this, this miracle. Uh, when he did his first miracle, and we, we uh, talked about turning the water into wine, we talked about uh, how God sometimes, and in, in that case, turning the water into wine, that uh, he created something with the appearance of age. The, the wine was, uh, it was made like that from water, but it was the best wine, which would have been an aged wine, but we know it was only a, a nanosecond old. And so God can do that. And of course, one of, one of the, the places some wonder is, did he create the earth with the appearance of age? Because sometimes, evidently, he does that. Here's another place where he does that. You've got, you've got fish that weren't one second old or no seconds old. They looked like they had been growing. And you've got bread that didn't take time to rise and knead and, you know, whatever you do with bread. None of that, but it was this old. And then the other question might be then about creation is, why, why did Jesus use the five loaves and, and two fish? Why didn't he uh, create out of nothing, which is what, what we say it teaches in Genesis. He, he created the, the universe uh, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Why didn't, why didn't he just do that here? I think it's evidence that he loves to use his people and he loves to use even our tiny offerings to do something way beyond what we could have done at any time. And that's really what he does here. When he multiplies this, I have to wonder, when I was a little boy, if my mom packed my lunch and somebody said, um, excuse me, son, we'd like to use your lunch for everybody. I would have been reluctant, I'll just tell you that. But somehow, uh, they got it from him, and it was used. And God multiplied that meager, impossibly small offering. So don't ever minimize when you you give to the Lord's work when you give to global missions. Don't ever minimize, oh, what could this mean? God loves to glorify himself with, with meager offerings because you know what? Then he gets the glory and not us. Look at verse 12 then. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So, that, verse 13, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves uh, left by those who had eaten. So, we see how abundantly God provides. They ended up with more than they, they started with. 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Some commentators say it's for the 12 tribes. I have to wonder 
Could it be so that each disciple had to gather one up and carry it around so he would never forget, never forget that we had way more than we started with because of what Jesus did? Now look at the people's reaction, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Most think that's referring back to uh, the, the prophecy, the, the promise back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. John John the witness, John the Baptist said, I'm not that prophet. He is. And we see here now, some seem to be recognizing that. But then we see the turn. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. One commentator said, said it this way, Jesus realizes that they have gone from viewing him as an all-in-one free health care solution to an aggressive military ruler. Get it? For Jesus, evidently, it wasn't time to correct their misperceptions. It wasn't time for him to take a stand, and so he withdrew. And next week we will see what happens when his disciples try to figure out where he went. But I want to, as we move to this table, I want to, I want to take us back to, to verse 4. It says this, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. The Passover. It's likely that many of those in attendance were actually pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem to the Passover. Perhaps they heard about uh, this guy heals people and they took the detour if they even needed to take a detour. Well, let's go hear him on our way. Passover is when they would sacrifice a lamb. Thinking back and remembering back to, to the Exodus, when God gave them the feast of the Passover, saying, I will protect you, sacrifice this lamb, shed his blood, and then he delivers them. Now fast forward to John the Baptist who sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I have to wonder how many were there standing in front of Jesus who almost like the sacrament 
distributed the bread. It said he gave thanks and passed it out. I have to wonder how many of them who were in the very presence of the Passover lamb missed him trying to get to a feast. And so as we come to this table, that would be my caution for your heart. Don't just think of the elements. Don't just think of getting through this so we can get to our real lunch or anything like that. Don't miss the host of this meal. Don't miss Jesus. That's what this is about. Let's pray. Jesus, you said you are the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you said, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Will you now in these moments address our hunger, not our physical hunger, address our thirst, not our our physical thirst, but our real thirst and our real hunger, which is for you. Will you feed us? Will you satisfy us by faith? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.